Hello, it's Andrew May, and welcome to the Performance Intelligence Podcast, Bite Size Edition. This is where we take a clip from a previous podcast and amplify it for you in a snack-sized format. Before we start this episode, I wanted to take a quick moment to ask a favor of you. Please open the podcast app you're listening on right now and hit the follow button. This really supports us growing the podcast and also helps continue to produce high-quality conversations around high performance. You listen to us and we want to listen to you. So please also consider leaving a rating and review. Tell us what you love about this episode and what you'd like to hear more of. Give us some feedback as it really does make a difference to what we're doing behind the scenes. Optimize performance through adapting your physical, psychological, and emotional state. Hi, it's The Wizard, and in this bite size from episode number 16, fasting advocate Paul Taylor explains some of the positive effects that fasting can have on your body, from weight loss all the way through to cancer prevention, as well as some tips on how to go about fasting and the timeframes that'll lead you to the optimal benefits in that. Paul also shares some of his history with fasting and why some of his time in the military started him on that path. I love this episode because when I go and film Andrew's keynotes, the number one question he always gets asked is, why should I fast and what's it gonna do for me? And we always point them towards this podcast specifically, which is probably why it's one of our most popular ones to date. Paul is just such a treasure trove of knowledge and he really has a deep understanding of fasting and why really everyone should be giving it a crack. I reckon I'm I'm just there now that on the back of a 14, 15, 16 hour fast, I have mental alacrity. The Dr. Tom Buckley, who runs our research institute, Tom's been doing this years before it was trendy. He's another good Irish boy. We'll have to connect you guys and have a conversation. Hang on to that one. Go put the kettle on, grab a wine, and you guys could go <laughs> deeper than deep on the science behind it. But Tom has been saying this for years. You know, you, you will get there. When I, when I look at my learning around this, I was a feeder, you know, coming through track and field, the, the food pyramid days. I look back, I was just fueling myself. I was on the insulin roller coaster. I'd always be tired in the afternoon and thought it was because I was running 100K a week in the off season. That would have had something to do with <laughs> that it. would have contributed. <laughs> there, there you go. There's one of your problems. But I just wasn't eating properly. So if I look at the metamorphosis I've had, and you know, N equals one, so everyone is different. But my learning was eating all the time, thought I could run, swim, cycle my way out of a high calorie diet, stopped competing as an athlete, worked in team sport, was still active with my athletes, but slowly saw the body shape start to change. Then I went, yeah, I've got to put this into practice in my late 30s. And during my 40s, trying to pull all the levers. So now I will absolutely fast. But for people getting into this as well, I'd say start progressively. Don't go from Uh, like I've been, feed, 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 run your insulin to then a 16-hour fast because you'll, you'll go stir crazy you blow up right so and 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 look i i was reasonably similar right um you know into did a master's degree in sports science then in 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 the military doing lots of sport you know having sports supplements all of that pretty high carbohydrate diet and then just just realize as you get a bit older that shit ain't good right um, when you're young you're almost invincible you can burn anything did you fast so in the military because you 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 were in the serious part of military you went back-end logistics Really interesting, right? When, when I first, the, the big thing that triggered me to get into fasting was, uh, it must have been seven or eight years ago, reading a research paper around 
prolonged nightly fasting and cancer prognosis. So this was on a bunch of, of, of women. And it showed that those who had a 13-hour plus, or thir- at least 13 hours of a night fast regularly, had a 36% reduction in breast cancer risk, right? Which is just off the charts crazy. And the, and the re- researchers actually said in their paper, our research suggests that people who eat late at night potentially significantly increase their cancer risk, all cancers, right? Because um, when you get one research paper like that, you go, okay, well, that's really interesting. We need to replicate that. But when there is a a, a well-understood biological mechanism to support it, then it gives it more evidence, right? What's light? How light is light? Uh, so so uh, I'm, I'm going to get to that, right? But what the research is now suggesting, and, and it's not clear 100%, but Sachin Panda is probably, Professor Sachin Panda would be the world leader in the time-restricted feeding, right? And and he says that it's to link in with your circadian clocks, right? So how this operates, particularly around cancer, if we just focus on cancer, at night when you go to sleep, or when it becomes dark, we have a master clock in our brain just behind your eyes called the suprachiasmatic nucleus for anybody who's really interested. And it governs our circadian response. And and at night, it will switch on uh, a whole host of biological mechanisms, repair mechanisms. So your brain will repair itself at night. A lot of people don't know that, right? Your cardiovascular system repairs itself at night. But one thing that switches on is your DNA repair enzymes. So these are little enzymes. Think of them. They run all the way through your body, checking out your cells, looking for cancerous and precancerous cells. And when they find one, they tag it right? It's just like paintball. They tag it and then these natural killer cells are released. They get attracted to that tag and they come along and they eat the cancer cell and then commit suicide. It's pretty cool shit, right? What we now know is that if you eat late at night, we have peripheral clocks in our liver and our pancreas that sense the nutrients. They switch those peripheral clocks on and that turns off your DNA repair enzymes, right? And because they're getting these conflicting signals. So I read that and I'm like, holy shit, I was a 10 o'clock snacker, right? Would eat before I go to bed. And same, you know, fitness industry stuff, you gotta be in positive nitrogen balance, you know, you've gotta eat before you go to bed. And, and I was thinking to myself, Jesus, how am I gonna get through the night, right? So I thought, you know what, I'm gonna run an experiment. I didn't eat that night, I woke up in the morning and I wasn't dead. I'm like, Fuck me, who knew, right? And then I repeated the experiment, didn't die again, and I thought, you know what? You're not hungry at 10 o'clock at night, that's nonsense emotionally habit. i was emotionally, emotionally hungry yeah. and bored so it went with sitting at home on the couch by myself or everyone else is in bed cup of tea and the biscuits or cup of tea and the chocolate or even you know, i was having the you know, the the protein to think i'm putting on more muscle at night but the best thing i could have done is have nothing from 8 p.m onwards and actually allow your body to get to to do its wonderful magic yeah. Are you planning an upcoming conference or company offsite? For the past 15 years, I've averaged speaking at over 50 events each year, and I still love presenting at conferences as much as I did when I first started. To explore the different presentations I offer on a range of topics and themes, including physical and psychological well-being, becoming burnout-proof, connection and belonging, that's a new area I'm, I'm really enjoying presenting on, 
neuroscience and behaviour change, mental skills and leadership and culture. Or if you'd like to understand our fully integrated conference experience with pre-event diagnostics, activities throughout the agenda, including a morning wake-up, energy breaks, team-building activities and digital resources to embed learning. To find out more information and to download a brochure, go to andrewmay.com slash keynotes. It's funny how we've gone through a similar pathway. Yeah, and, and, and actually then, you know, I remember back in the military, as you were talking, when we went through combat survival and resistance to interrogation training, for 10 days, the only food they gave us was a chicken between four people, and it was alive when we got it, right? So at 10 o'clock at night, it's not hunger, it's appetite plus habit, right? So appetite is a psychological desire for food. Hunger is a physiological need for food and people often confuse them. And we get into these habits and we train up our systems. And when we're constantly running off glucose, you know, we when we get those dips in it, um, we are triggered to then go and eat food. And then, you know, all of that stuff happens. So um, so I started doing it and, and I started initially with 13 hours, then 14, then 15, then 16. So my personal protocol, I know you were gonna talk about yours, is that I'm very comfortable on a 14 hour fast. 15 and 16 is a little bit uncomfortable, but definitely doable. Uncomfortable from a physiological point of view or from a, a cognitive processing? I, I, I think it's it's more a psychological point of view where it's that the hunger and stuff like that. But when I'm busy, I don't notice it as much, right? So this morning I did a I did a webinar for NAB. You know, it was it was kicking off at eleven o'clock. I uh, I probably at at seven o'clock last night was my last meal, and then so I'm thinking, okay, so I've done I've done quite a lot, but I thought, you know what, I actually read need to eat, so I just waited until afterwards, and then at maybe an hour and a half later, right? So uh, when we're busy it tends to take our mind off it and we can extend it. But I would definitely say to people, depending on where you're at routinely, next week, extend your fast by an hour, then another hour, then another hour, until you get to that 14 to 16 hour window. So for most of us, we will switch over into fat burning as a primary driver after around 12 hours. Right. So when you get into that 13th, 14th hour, you're producing all those good ketone bodies, hydrobutyrate, uh, right? Um, you, you're producing all of those awesome ketone bodies and developing that metabolic flexibility, which is really important for our cells. And you get an intelligence around this when you do it. Like I know around that 13, 14, definitely 15, I can feel it. Like I, I can feel my body working, if that makes sense. And now I am starting to get some of that mental alacrity. Maybe it's just psychosomatic, I'm telling myself that. But either way, it is working. When I first started, Paul, for me to go 10 hours without food, and for anyone listening to this, if you haven't started, maybe just go 10 hours. So try and mm, put your yeah. fork down earlier. The golden rule, I think, is fork down the night before. So, you know, start at eight o'clock. You've given that wonderful research about our body clock being overridden by the liver and pancreas around 10 p.m. Interesting what science does, right? Work with it or work against it. But, you know, fork down at eight and then add. Maybe just go for 10 hours to start with, which is not a long time. Then add 12 and little by little, you, your body adapts, doesn't it? You get you get used to it. it. Yeah, it, look, it does. It absolutely does. And some people might be better. Stop. My, my wife prefers to finish at five. 
right? And when she's doing the fasting, she'll finish at five because she likes to get up in the morning and have her coffee, right? And so it's personal preference as long as you are getting all of those night hours, right? So, so what, and I get these questions, right? Can I drink alcohol until midnight and then fast until 1 p.m. the next day? No. <laughs> It does more. And this is why I don't do it every day, right? Because I like I like a tipple a few nights a week. So I'm not doing that extended fast, that 14-hour night fast, or 16-hour night fast every day. I'm, I'm I'm sort of playing with it ad hoc, but I'm definitely getting three, days four a days a week. Three probably, four. probably four, generally. Sometimes three, sometimes five, right? Also, for metabolic flexibility, I heard Andrew Huberman, who's a great resource on this, and just sometimes he goes so deep, it's just like, whoa, you've lost me, big fella. But if you fast every day, again, you lose that metabolic flexibility. So it's good to you know, do a couple of days, not fast, do a couple of days, not fast, it is, shake it up. It is absolutely good to mix it up, right? Just like it is with your physical training, right? When you're giving the body the same thing, then it adapts. And this is, you know, this is a, bit, a big target of my book where I, I talk about death by comfort is that we have these ancient biological mechanisms that are, are conserved across species and across millennia. Uh, um, um, uh, one of them's hormesis. So hormesis is basically sublethal exposure to stresses or toxins, which at high levels can kill you at low to moderate levels induce stress resistance, right? So classic hormetic stressors, exercise, um, cold exposure, heat exposure, and fasting, right? But the key thing is that the, the, the stressor should be intermittent. It shouldn't be constant, right? Because then your body loses that stimulation from it. So I actually think that the people who are who are obsessive about it may actually lose some of those benefits. And we won't know until we've done, you know, the long-term studies that takes a whole bunch of people and follows them. And this is why human research is really hard to do, right? We, we need a hundred, a few hundred in each group, some of whom do that fasting four days a week, three to five days a week, and some who do it every day. And then we look at them for years and years and years and see what's happening and then try to use statistics to control for confounding variables. And, and it's then difficult. look at psychosomatic relationships, wealth, income, influence. Absolutely. Uh, uh, self-control, self-efficacy. Where do we stop? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think the, the, the basics for anybody who's wanting to get into it is, as you say, start start, start little bits and add a bit. So I'd like to say to people, you know, just look at your normal fast and add an hour on. Extend an hour either by getting dinner an hour earlier or extending breakfast out an hour, right? Do that for a week, then add another hour on, right? So you'll take a little bit of time to adapt to it. Hi again, it's Andrew, and I hope you really enjoyed that episode. We would appreciate if you helped to amplify the Performance Intelligence podcast by sharing episodes with your friends and with your colleagues by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help get the message out to a wider audience, and I love reading the comments as well. If you'd like to know more about booking me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite, or purchasing one of the books I've written, including Matchfit, or if you'd just like to receive my monthly e-newsletter, which is called the AM Edition, that has stacks of information specific to all things human performance, go to andrewmay.com. And we'll see you on the next edition of Performance Intelligence.